see everybody today. We want to welcome uh, everyone across all of our campuses, all across the city, and if you join in online, and everybody here at the Northwest Campus. My name is Greg. I get to serve as the executive pastor here, and we're going to do something a little bit different before Aaron gets into the message today. Our elders asked for a moment to honor Aaron in a special way, and so I'm going to turn it over to John Schubot, who's the chairman of our elders, to say a few words. That's a first. You know, you don't have to be here at Traders Point very long before you realize that we are all about lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. At the same time, Paul tells us that every once in a while we need to step back and honor those among us who are leaders, who are leading us to be better followers of Christ, and to give honor to whom honor is due. And that's a double dose of honor to those who labor in the word and preach the word to us every week. And that's what we wanted to do here today. Honor Aaron. Can you guys believe it's been 12 years that Aaron has been our lead pastor? So we want to look back and just celebrate these 12 years along with Aaron and his family. We're so glad you guys have all joined us up here on stage. Aaron, I look back and reflect about the first time I met you. Several of us elders had snuck into a church to hear you preach where you were a teaching pastor. And we'd been actually on the road for about a year looking for a pastor. We didn't have a lead pastor at the time. And uh, as soon as we heard you speak, we thought, there's, there's something in this guy that we saw. We wanted more of it. So we called you a few days later and we said, hey, we listened to you. We've got a position. We'd like to have a conversation. And you listened politely. And then you politely said no. <laughs> he, uh, he wasn't ready, he said. But we didn't give up. We asked him to pray about it, and we prayed about it. And a few weeks later, the conversation continued. And I remember as that conversation developed and you became closer to the idea of actually coming here, you said you talked to one of your mentors, somebody whose opinion you really respected. And you asked him, am I ready to lead a church like Traders Point? And I remember what he said. You, t you told us that he said, no, you're not ready, but God will make you adequate. Did God make him adequate? And then, so we came to a decision that we wanted to call Aaron here. There was still one hurdle to get over, and that is our bylaws required that the people who are members of our church take a vote after listening to him give a test sermon. How, have you ever heard of that before? A test sermon. He had to stand up here on Sunday morning, preach twice, and then ballots were passed out across the room, and everybody checked, yes or no. And we put him through it. He survived. Obviously, the vote went well. But I think after all these years, it's time to finally reveal the results of that vote. As I recall, there were about... There were more than 900, close to 1,000 yes votes, about 960, I believe. Aaron, do you remember how many no votes there were? Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> Twelve no votes. And I think some of those 12 came up to you later and apologized for those votes. <laughs> so we wanted to look back at 12 years, all that God has done in and through you at Traders Point Christian Church for the last 12 years. Just... You know, at that time, our vision was to maybe someday see this room filled, a couple of services every Sunday morning. One campus, two services, 
and see where it takes us. But guess what? Today we are on six different campuses, filling six different rooms, going from 2,000 at that time to 9,000 on a weekly basis. In the 12 years that Aaron has been here, we have given over $12 million to missions and strategic partners around the world. That's amazing. We have, uh, we've sent out over 2,000 of us have gone on mission trips around the world. We have raised leaders. Your passion is to raise leaders. We have leaders who've gone out, taken over the lead position at several churches. We've been involved in 15 church plants over those years. And we've even built schools on the other side of the world that are impacting children with the love of Christ for in the thousands, in the number, numbers of thousands. And I think the one statistic that I looked up that probably is most impressive, in the time that Aaron's been here, 5,200 people have given their life to Christ in, in baptism. So Aaron, um, on behalf of all of the elders standing behind me, we wanted to honor you and your family today. And we're speaking on behalf of everybody who listens to you every Sunday morning as well. And we have a couple things we wanted to give you. First, we have a little memento that you can put on your bookcase that maybe will remind you of celebrating these first 12 years. And by the way, folks, on there it says the first 12 years. There's going to be a lot more. And it's... It, it also says, looking back with admiration, looking forward with eager anticipation. And that's what we're doing. We are looking forward with anticipation. And one other thing, we wanted to do something that would be meaningful for you and your family. We've talked to Lindsay about this. We understand that you've had a passion for the Holy Land and would like to take your family there someday. So we're going to make that happen. We're going to be, see to it that you and your family get to go to Israel. So thank you for 12 years. God's continuing to do a great work on behalf of everybody. We just want to say thank you. And may I ask everybody who's here, everybody who's listening to my voice, no matter which campus you're on, will you please stand and let Aaron and his family know how much you love and appreciate him. Thank you. me again. Uh, it's a little awkward. Uh, thank you. Uh, man, I appreciate that. How, how many of you, just curious, how many of you thought I was leaving? Come on, do you be real? All right, that's, yeah, I felt it in the room. I was like, hey, get to the part where I'm staying. All right, uh, so uh, no, uh, thank you all so much. And uh, um, I uh, love our team here, our elders, our staff, all of our volunteers. And none of this would be possible without all of you. And so thank you. Uh, for being who you are and uh, following after Jesus as passionately as you, as you do. So thank you so, so much. It's been a thrill 
of my life to uh, serve the last 12 years here at Traders Point, and I can't wait for the future and all God is uh, going to do. So thank you for that. I uh, want to uh, look in the camera and say hello to everyone across all of our campuses, especially our brand new Midtown campus. Can we give it up for our Midtown campus? Last week, if uh, this is your first time to be with us, we launched uh, our newest campus in, in uh, Broad Ripple. They had just under 600 people last weekend at the grand opening. Campus pastor Kyle Riley and that whole team, staff and volunteers, you guys are doing an amazing job. It's one of the colder Sundays we've had in a while last week. And they were up early, setting up, tearing down outside with smiling faces. And so can't wait to hear how week number two goes for you. And uh, we are wrapping up a series of messages that we've been in the last few weeks called Screen Time. And I just want to publicly thank the record numbers of people that have felt obligated to hold me accountable for my screen time. Uh, I uh, have been in the grocery store several times over the last couple weeks, and I'll be in an aisle, and I'll be on my my screen because I I just want to clarify this. I'm reading the grocery list my wife texted to me being the dutiful, loving, compassionate husband that I am. And, uh, and somebody that I don't know will just walk up behind me and in a very kind of creepy whisper, they'll say, better watch your screen time, Pastor. <laughs> but uh, that's all right. I guess I got it coming. All right. I mean, if I can dish it, I certainly better be able to, to take it. And... Um, I have heard from a number of you, like all joking aside, like you've just kind of expressed to me how the content of this series has been landing on you. And and so much of it has been good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's been easy. And I actually think that's a really good message series. When When it's been good, when it's been hopeful, when it's been helpful, but it's not necessarily been easy. It's been convicting, it's been challenging. And uh, I think that many of us, like, we know that our mental and emotional energy is getting wrapped up in our screens, and we're aware of it, but many of us, I think, just maybe haven't been sure what to do about it. And we have been careful uh, not to glamorize screens, nor do we want to demonize them. I don't think the answer is either one of those things. This has certainly not been a three-week TED Talk on technology, nor has it been a three-week guilt trip for having a smartphone. Last week, I said that a screen, whether that's your, your phone or your iPad or uh, your computer of some kind, like it, it's, it's a tool. And tools in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad or good. It's what you do with them that makes them bad or good. So a good tool can make your life more productive and it can help you stay connected. But if you use it in the wrong way, especially like a screen, then it, it can be really challenging. And you look at screens, and it's remarkable what they provide for us. Who would have thought that 100 years ago, you could actually talk to someone on the other side of the world as clearly and plainly as if they were standing right there in front of you, and you could do it via a screen? That 100 years ago, that, that would have been like, you couldn't even have thought of it. Who, who would have thought that 75 years ago, we would have as much access to information as quickly as we could get it, all the way from who won the 1980 World Series to the best recipe for pad thai to the common symptoms of lockjaw, right? Just all this information. That's what I Googled this last week. Don't judge. <laughs> so all this information, like right at our fingertips, like that quickly, like who would have thought that the iPhone in your pocket right now has 100,000 times more processing power than the first computer that NASA used to send a man to the moon 50 years ago. 
See, when it comes to screens, a lot has changed, and a lot has changed quickly. It's a tool that can be used for good, but if we're not careful, used the wrong way. It can be a drain on our time. It can isolate us. It can leave us feeling emptier and more depressed and anxious than ever. Many have expressed to me sort of like a love-hate relationship with your screen. And you say, you know, I love what it can do for me, but I'm not quite sure what it's doing to me. And oftentimes, after a significant amount of time on a screen, we walk away wondering, do do, do I really want to give it that much time? And it's not like we meant for any of this to happen. I think that for most of us, like it just sort of happened. And the technology came up on us so quickly that it sort of left us a bit flat-footed, not really knowing how to manage it. And so what we've just been wanting to do here at the beginning of a brand new year is just stop for a minute and reevaluate our screen time. And ask, what is this doing to me emotionally and and spiritually and relationally? Because we don't want to be distracted from the voice of God in our lives. God has promised he is speaking by his word and by his spirit. The question is, is, am I listening? And I think most of us want to listen. It's just that oftentimes we've got these other things competing for his voice and his presence. We we don't want to be disconnected from the people that we love and care about because life goes so quick. We don't want to be detached from what's going on in our own heads and our own hearts. We want to be just like the leaders that we read about on week one of this series from 2 Chronicles. You remember that passage where it said they understood the times in which they lived. Therefore, they knew the way to go. And so as we wrap this up and kind of put a bow on this series together, I just want to remind you that the primary purpose for for these past three weeks is that we just simply want to be more intentional for how we use and interact with screens. If I could just kind of help you think about it, help you pause a little bit, give you some practical tools for applying this, then then I've done my job. And as we wrap up today, I want to talk a little bit more about really what's at stake when it comes to thinking about this. But but I want to end on a positive note as well. I want to talk about some of the incredible opportunities that screens are giving for our own personal and spiritual growth as well as to advance the kingdom of God and make the name of Jesus as widely known as possible. And so here's maybe uh, it in a form of a question, is how can we be disciples in a digital age? That, that's really the question. Now, if you're not familiar with that word disciple, or if you heard, you've heard it before but not exactly sure what that means, a disciple is not someone who just merely believes in God. A disciple is not someone who just attends church regularly. A disciple isn't even anybody who's become a Christian. No, a disciple is an imperfect person who invites Jesus into every area of their lives. Instead of saying, hey, Jesus, it's this area of my life where I've got maybe the yellow, you know, no trespassing tape. I'm going to take that tape down and I'm going to invite you in. And Jesus, I want you, I'm going to welcome you in my thought life. I'm going to welcome you into our marriage I'm going to welcome you into my finances and in my job and on my screens. I want to follow you in every area of my life. And some of us have trusted Jesus to be the Savior of our eternal souls, but we've not yet made him Lord of our everyday lives. And that's just simply what we want to do. We want to trust him. Jesus, if I trust you to be my Savior, I trust that you know what's best for me to be my Lord. So I want to wrap up by looking one more time at the anchor passage for this whole series, Romans 12. 1 to 2. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, 
or turn on your screen and get to Romans 12, I want to remind you one more time that Paul is writing this as encouragement to a group of people that were living in Rome during the first century. Here's what I want you to know about these people is that most of them were first generation Christ followers, meaning that they hadn't grown up in a Christian home like maybe many of you. They hadn't grown up with uh, this modeled in a, in a healthy way, maybe like, like some of you. Like, like they, they didn't know what they were doing. And so Paul's helping them to follow Jesus in every area of their life. And maybe for you, you're exactly in that spot. You're like, you know what, I, I'm an adult. I didn't grow up in church. Or maybe you grew up in church, but you didn't grow up in Christ. There's a difference, you know. Or maybe you grew up religious, but you didn't really understand the gospel. And so maybe you're trying to feel your way through this. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And Paul's words of encouragement can help us. And so once again, starting off in verse 1, he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. And let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Here's the statement. But let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. That's where it always begins. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So really what's at the heart of this entire passage is an encouragement for you and and me to really pay attention to what is going on primarily in our heads and how that then affects our hearts and then how that influences the way that we live. It's, it's what we choose to think about and then how those thoughts begin to influence our mood and our disposition and our overall emotions. That, that's going to influence the kind of life that you live and the quality of your relationships. Well, let me say it this way. The, the life that you live is a direct reflection of the thoughts that you think. And I think that most of us probably know that. Maybe we've heard that in a sermon one time. Maybe we read it in a book. And, and it's nice. Like it makes sense. But maybe it's not necessarily enough to, 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 to change you. Or maybe you're like, well, I don't really know how to actually apply that. I mean, it, it's very similar to that statement that I had said to me all the time when I was growing up. Aaron, you are what you eat. And my mom would say that to me. And my, you know... Parents or my teachers would say that to me, and I understood it. I believed it, but it wasn't enough to change my eating behavior. It's like, you are what you eat. I know that, but the Twinkie is really good. (laughs) Aaron, are you really going to eat those two barbecue Hot Pockets right before bed? Yes. Yes, I am, because it is crunchy and tasty and tangy, and the carbs help me sleep. Stop judging, all right? And so I think most of us know, like, you are what you eat. We, we hear this, like, well, you know, the, the life, your life is going to be determined by your thoughts, but it's not necessarily enough to change us. Or here's the objection. Maybe you've already thought it. Well, I can't control my thoughts. Like, stuff just runs into my head that I didn't ask it to. It's just I'm, I feel like I'm sort of, like, at the mercy of my thoughts. And I think that what Paul's driving at, maybe here's a little bit better way to understand it, as he says, listen, your, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Always. And this is really what's at stake when it comes to our screen time. So if it's true that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, 
then your strongest thoughts will always be influenced by what you're exposed to the most. And that's where screens come in. Because for many of us, what we are exposed to the most throughout the day is something on a screen. And we can do something about that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it urges us, I love this, take every thought captive. It's this idea that these thoughts are going to run into your mind and you, you take them captive. You, you go Jason Bourne on them. You go after, that, that wasn't even in my notes. I didn't even do that first hour. That's good. You take every thought captive, making them obedient. I'll stick with you. Making it obedient to Christ. So like when a thought comes into your mind that shouldn't be there, you just turn into Jason Bourne. That's enough to motivate me. Like, let's do it, right? Let's, let's go after the thought. Let's tackle it to the ground. Just because a thought runs into your mind doesn't mean it needs to stay there. Just because a thought is there doesn't mean you continue to harbor it. I, um, I got invited uh, to go out to a great ministry in Montana last June. A friend of mine runs it. It's a ministry called The Refuge. And it's out like in the middle of Montana. It's beautiful. And uh, he said, hey, uh, I've got a friend of mine who's a rancher. And today he is branding and tagging hundreds and hundreds of calves. And he said, it's a sight to see. It's an amazing operation. Do you want to go look, check it out? And I, I didn't want to be rude. I didn't really. But I was just like, okay, sweet. That'll be awesome. And so we go. And I'm glad I went. Because I'd never seen anything like that before. There was like a helicopter in the sky. There was more cattle than I've ever been able to see at, at once in my entire life. There was all these calves that, uh, by the way, did not want to be tagged or branded. They didn't volunteer for it. They weren't like filing up in a single file line. They weren't cooperating. No, it was crazy. Like they were trying to get away. In fact, a few of them did. And uh, they've got these ranchers on horses with ropes. They look like John Wayne right out of one of those old westerns. And I watched as they would let a few calves go. And then they would rope them and wrangle them to the, the ground. And, 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 I, and I thought about 2 Corinthians 10.5. Like these thoughts like run out and you're like, you know what, I'm going to rope that thing down and I'm going to submit it to the Lordship of Christ. Like just because it popped into my mind doesn't need to be, it stays there. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says, fix your thoughts. In other words, be intentional on your thoughts. Fix them on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Proverbs tells us that whatever is in our hearts will eventually show us what we become so it's a simple equation. Change your thinking, change your life. Great. How do you do that? Change your inputs. Change your thinking. And this is really what's at stake when it comes to screens and social media. When I encourage you to get on a daily Bible reading plan, it is not that you would spend an hour reading through large chunks of Scripture. It is that you would just maybe expose yourself to 10 or 15 verses and fill your heart and mind with God's word so that he can help you take every thought captive throughout your day. See, we oftentimes think it's the big decisions that we make occasionally that change our lives, but it's not. It's the small decisions that we make consistently that change the direction of our lives. And social science is just backing up what God's word has been telling us for centuries. There was a study from McComb School of Business that found that simply having a smartphone within reach, even if it's switched off or placed face down, reduces cognitive capacity. In other words, I, I have a cell phone in my back pocket right now. Studies say that this sermon is dumber just because I have it in my hand. <laughs> so if you're like, ah, this sermon's okay. Well, you're probably right. I'd need to get rid of my phone. It would get better, all right? 
However, it gets better. However, putting your smartphone in a different room can give your brain a boost, even if you consider yourself to be highly dependent upon it. They believe that periods of separation from smartphones, and I say in quote, may allow people to perform better, not just by reducing interruptions, but also by increasing available cognitive capacity. Another study showed that the more you use Facebook, the lower your mental health and life satisfaction, which we didn't need a study for that. We already know. Just read the comment section. You're like, yep. I won't say it. I filtered it. When, when, they, when they interact with real people, when they get off Facebook and interact with face-to-face people, it, it improves. One study of adults who stayed off Facebook for one week were happier, less lonely, less angry, less worried, less depressed than those who were on it. The only thing you take away from this message is get off Facebook. That's probably good enough. Like your life will get better. The studies just show. It gets even crazier. Ramsey Brown is a, is a doctor who studied neuroscience before co-founding something called the Dopamine Labs. And listen to what he says. This is eye-opening. He says a computer programmer nowadays understands how the brain works so they know how to write code that will get your brain to do certain things. They know that your mind is... Uh, is uh, stimulated to get a neurological response. So they're trying to get you to come back to the screen as often as possible. What people don't realize is that you are a guinea pig on the screen pushing the buttons and sometimes getting the likes. What he says next is, like, scary. Sometimes we hold back the likes on Instagram and then give them to you in a burst to maximize the dopamine. We have algorithms we use for this. We're doing this to keep you on there. So this leads me to the question that I'm asking of myself and my family and our whole church family. Is this my screen using me or will I use it? And we've talked about some of the challenges, but I also believe that there are some incredible opportunities that we can lean into when it comes to to technology. Because throughout history, one of the things that we've seen is that God often leverages technological advances in order to get the word out about his love and his grace that's made available to anyone and everyone through Jesus. In fact, um, there's this uh, somewhat random verse in 3 John 1, 13. It's at the very end of this series of letters that John is writing and, and he concludes by, by saying this. He says, I, I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to write it with pen and ink. For I hope to see you soon, and then we will talk face to face. Do you hear what he's saying there? He says, listen, I, I would much rather meet up and talk to you in person because that is always the more effective means of communication. And I think we would all agree with him, right? How many of you have ever sent an email to someone and they misinterpreted it and they got offended? Anyone? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Occasionally. How many of you have ever had somebody like send you a long, like, like a four or five paragrapher text message? And you're like, I don't have time for that. So you respond back with just a single emoji <laughs> and they get offended. Right, so, so digital communication, what it's given to us is we can communicate to more people at greater distances way faster. What it's taken from us is better communication. Because most of communication is not 
is not audible. Most of it is nonverbal. It's this, it's, it's, it's eye contact and it's body language and it's tone. And so John says, hey, listen, I would much rather come to you with this message in person because I think it's going to be way more effective. However, the, the urgency of this message r- requires me to rely upon the cutting technology of the day, which happened to be uh, a scroll, papyrus and ink, 2.0. And he said, listen, I'm trying to get this message to you as fast as I can. And we see that God was always using technological advances to get the message out to as many people as possible because of what's at stake. So if you go back to between the Old and the New Testaments, many of you know this. This is called the intertestamental period. There's 300 years of silence between the last book in the Old Testament and the first book in the New Testament, Malachi and Matthew. And it appeared for those 300 years that God wasn't saying anything that God wasn't doing anything, that it was like people began to wonder, like we've been hearing about the prophecy of the coming Messiah for so long, but it's been 300 years. Is he really going to come? But actually, if you look back at what was happening around the world, you begin to see that God was actually leaning into some of the technological advances to prepare for the message of the Messiah's birth. And so we see that the very first highway system ever created in the history of the world came about during that 300-year period of time. Uh, the, the Romans built the first highway system. It was once said that all roads led to Rome. And because of that, people could travel more freely into different nations and interact with people that they normally couldn't interact with. And so people began to speak a common language. It was said at the time that everybody spoke a little Greek. And then there was this uh, time of, of, of world peace. It was forced world peace, but it was still world peace, called the, the Pax Romana, which actually just brought kind of a settling around the world and and people could travel and speak more clearly. Just imagine that for a minute. There was world peace. All those poor girls in those beauty pageants had nothing to say when it came to what they would wish for because there was already world peace. And you look at that and you're going, man, 300 years, God, where are you? And what we see is that he was leveraging technology so that when the Messiah would be born, news could spread quickly and globally that a Messiah had been born in Bethlehem. Now, I'm not one of these guys that's like 20 reasons why God's coming back in 2020. I'm not one of those guys. But I do believe we always need to be ready. And I believe that God is doing the same thing. I believe that he is orchestrating technology today so that the message of his hope and his grace that can only come through Jesus could be as spread to as many people as possible around the globe. And so you've got the invention of the printing press and you've got the invention of of radio and television and the internet, all of this to advance the kingdom of God. So I just want to tie a bow on this series by just talking about some of the things that God is doing with technology and how we as a church want to want to be a part of that. In fact, our friends at Life Church have developed a Bible app called YouVersion. I know many of you are on it. I'm actually on a year-long Bible reading plan through YouVersion. And since its inception in July of 2008, so 12 years ago, They've made the, the Bible digital, and it's gotten out to so many people around the globe. In fact, the Bible has been downloaded and installed on 350 million unique devices on every country around the globe. In 2018 alone, there were 950 million Bible reading plans completed, 27.2 billion chapters read, 409 million verses shared. In fact, if you go on uh, YouVersion's kind of like annual report on their uh, website, they got this really cool feature where you can click on a country and it'll show you the most uh, read, highlighted, shared Bible verse for that country. 
So if you were to click on uh, the, the nation of, of China, the most read, highlighted, shared verse in China right now, uh, there's some stuff going on in China. Have you heard? Here's the verse. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It's amazing that we can just know what people are reading in the Bible in China. If you were to click on Russia, Psalm 12, 7, you, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked. If you were to click on Mexico, it's Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And I'm amazed and I'm humbled at how God can use technology in these ways to get the message out of the hope and the grace that can only come through Jesus. Our, um, the average churchgoer only physically attends a campus about 1.7 times a month because, you know, uh, life happens. Maybe you're traveling for work. Maybe you got sick kids at home. Maybe you're on vacation. And I remember when I was growing up, like if you missed church, like you missed it. Like there was no podcasting, there was no going back and live, you know, live streaming, getting the message. And now we, we can, we've made it available for you to still be engaged even when maybe you can't be here. Now it's not meant to replace your physical engagement or your relationships because you can't necessarily get that online. You can't necessarily get kids ministry online. But man, if you're gone, it's a great way to stay engaged. If you're just checking things out for the first time, it's a safe way to just sort of check it out. And the goal for us is engagement. We want to get the message out to as many people as possible. Of course, I would prefer to meet with you face to face. But I'll lean into the technology of the day because the message is too urgent. In the last quarter of 2019, here in our church, we had between six and 10,000 people on average who would engage online each weekend. That's roughly the same number who would show up physically every weekend. On January 5th, 2020, we had Brian and Janae Welch here for an interview. Many of you were here. We had uh, 12,500 physically on the campuses. We had 42,000 people engaged online. In 2019, we had people tuning in from 340 cities in our state alone, over 2,100 cities in the United States, 49 states plus 60 countries. Facebook Live and Traders Point TV at Christmas, we had 41,815 people engage in that. If you, uh, so if you look at our state, we've actually got uh, a map that actually shows where people around our state are tuning in from every weekend. You can go then uh, widen it out a little bit. And you can go to our country and see uh, all the states that people are tuning in from. And I really like this next one. It's just the world. And you just look at that. And you're just like, I just, I just want to know. Um, I got to see a little dot in Iceland, poor little dot in Iceland. And I was like, who is that person, you know? And, and oftentimes the great thing about technology is that I don't have to wonder, I, I get to hear from them. And oftentimes they'll email me and they'll, they'll share their story with me. And in fact, uh, about 10 days ago, I, I got an email from uh, a gentleman that uh, is out of state and I just want to read it for you. He, he said this, he goes, Dear Pastor Aaron, my, my wife and I watched your interview with Brian Welch on YouTube. I'm a retired teacher, so Brian and I don't have much in common. <laughs> I love that. You think? And, uh, and he goes, uh, sort of out of my comfort zone. H however, listening to him, I realized, I love his heart. He goes, I realized that we weren't so different. 
That, that even though I, I, I've not taken drugs, I don't, I don't get drunk, we have both been empty at one time in our lives and only God could fill that void. I, I go visit inmates at my local county jail and so I retold Brian's story this past Wednesday and it encouraged the prisoners and it reached them and, and I just wanted you to know, God bless you and your church. So in the next year, we, we hope to fully launch an online campus. Now, right now, we're just kind of streaming it. We're just kind of putting it out there. But we want to give a lot more thought, and we want to be more intentional about it. And we want to resource people who maybe can't physically show up at one of our campuses for whatever reason. But we still want them to be involved in community through groups and serving and giving. You, they can still be engaged. And so we'll have an online campus pastor who will actually shepherd that group of people. And we've had over 24 people all over the country contact us and say, would you train us? Would you train us to, to be a group leader, to, to host a watch party? Because we want to be as intentional about this as we can. And these 24 people are from the states of Indiana, Iowa, Missouri, Michigan, Ohio, Oregon, Colorado, North Carolina, Rhode Island, Florida, and Texas. And I've changed the names but one of them is a lady named Annette. She's a clinical director at a counseling recovery assistance center in Fort Wayne. And she works with and has a huge heart for people that are far from God and anyone who is wrestling with addiction. And she knows people that uh, would love to, to be a part of, of Trader's Point, a church like Trader's Point. And she's heard from them that maybe they've tried a church, maybe they've got a bad church experience. And she just said, you know what, I want to host a Trader's Point watch party. And I want to invite them to come, a safe space for them to hear about Jesus. Sarah is a young girl who grew up in church, but she heard about Trader's Point from a friend in Westfield. And she's been tuning in for a couple of years. And she loves the online experience. She has a, a child with autism. And so that's made it a challenge to, to show up physically at a, at a church service. And so she shares the live feed on Facebook. And her friends jump in and watch with her. And they comment and talk about it. John, who works for Young Life, is in a community out in the western part of the United States. And they're sort of in an isolated community. Meaning, he said, if we're going to head into town and back, it's a, it's a full day's drive. And he said, there's 50 staff at this retreat center. And with family and kids, there's 150 of us. And he said, Traders Point's our home. We, we tune in, we gather together every week, and we watch online. Uh, Emily, who attended Traders Point... When she was growing up, she moved to Colorado to go to college, and she had a hard time finding a Christian organization on campus. So she just decided to host a watch party and invite her classmates and friends and some of the girls in the dorm to be a part of the church where she met Jesus. And so we're dreaming about leveraging technology to go with our students as they graduate because we hear from a number of them that say, well, I go off to college, and then I just have a hard time getting connected somewhere. So, so host a watch party. Be a leader. In Bloomington, West Lafayette, Muncie, Fort Wayne, and South Bend. And I just want you to understand our heart behind this. We're not trying to replace somebody's church experience because I think a church experience is way better. But we are trying to engage people right where they are. We often say this, that it's, just, it's just a great place to be able to connect and to help introduce you to, to your community and to your people. And the message is far too urgent for us to just sit back and hope that they hear and so I just want to be aware, are you to be aware of what kind of church you're involved in and the bigness of our vision and what we're desiring to do. 
And we're not patting ourselves on the back. We don't think that we're great because of this. In fact, God's leveraging technology across all kinds of churches because it's the same God and the same Jesus who's trying to get the message out about his hope and his grace. We give God all the glory for it. But I want you to be on mission with us. One of my favorite things to see on social media is when we share like an upcoming sermon series and I click on the comments and all it is is you tagging your friends. Hey, you ought to check this out. You can come and sit with me. Hey, if, you're not, if you don't feel comfortable coming, you, you can watch online. In fact, I want to equip you to just be better inviters. And if you go to tpcc.org invite, we've just got some uh, helpful instruction on how you can do this. And man, the best invitation is just to say, hey, um, uh, I know maybe you're not a religious person. Maybe you're not into God. But man, Jesus has changed my life. And I'd just love for you to come check it out. Just come and see. Statistically, 75% of people say that if somebody that they know and trust invited them to church, they'd go. And so we are not about making a profit. We are not about making a big name for ourselves. We are not about growing a big church. We are about advancing the kingdom of God. And the hope... that can only be found in him. So every now and then in my quiet times and I'm, I'm talking to God and I'm, I'm trying to be quiet enough to let him talk to me, I, I just start thinking about where's all this going? Every now and then I'll have friends who say, where's all this going? And I'm just like, I have no idea. I don't know, but I do know this. One day um, it's gonna be orientation day in heaven. And I, I have this imaginary conversation with somebody who's gonna walk up to me and go, I've never met you before. In fact, I've never been in the same room with you but because you guys cared enough, because you guys gave sacrificially, because you guys leaned in, because you guys were on mission, I heard, better yet, I experienced the grace that came through Jesus and your church is the reason why I'm here now. I just have that conversation and it motivates me to continue to do what I do because eternity is long and lives matter and this is real. We are not just playing church. And I'm not just trying to give you some helpful life tips for you to be a better person. I don't want you to be conformed. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind for the glory of God and for the good of people. Father, we come to you today and I'm overwhelmed. Didn't expect to be, but I am. It just how in the world you could use us to make this kind of impact. Because honestly, God, 12 years ago when I came here, I didn't have a vision like this. My only vision was survival. My only vision was, I don't want to mess this up. And so God, I just pray that you would keep us humble because it is not about our ability. It is all about your goodness. And I pray that you would keep us hungry because the mission is urgent. And I pray that you would keep us healthy because so many people have had bad church experiences that have turned them off from Jesus. And we don't want to give them one more excuse to turn away. So Father, it begins with us. In each of our minds, the thoughts that we're thinking, what we're exposing ourselves to that affects our thoughts and our hearts, our motivations. God, I pray that you would always keep those in check. I pray that you would help all of us realize that we're not just part of a church. We're part of a movement trying to get the message of your grace that comes through Jesus to a watching world. So thank you.
And we just want to spend a few minutes listening from you now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.